Welcome to our next installment of the Rebels of the Heart virtual conference series. It's been an ongoing segment where we've featured great leaders across all different areas of business, different companies, really showing the next generation of leadership and what leadership with a heart looks like in terms of rebels breaking the rules, creating new rules, and, and establishing what a healthy business and personal relationship can look like. I'm Derek Bunston, CEO of Life Guides, uh, and we're building a platform for preparing people to do extraordinary good by using technology to match people who have been through a life challenge of some sort with those who are going through the same or a very similar experience now provide peer-to-peer mentorship support and guidance to help people be happier, healthier, and more productive in both their work life and home life and where those come together. Welcome to our next episode of Rebels with a Heart. I'm thrilled to introduce you to our guest today, Roger Jefferson. He truly is a rebel with a heart. I love the background, man, for where you are today. Just It's inspiring in terms of curiosity and wisdom and what we can learn through life and I know you've got a lot to share with us. So welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Absolute honor to be here with you. Amazing. Well, I'll, I'll kick it off with a question I like to start with often, which is, what does it mean to you to be a rebel with a heart? No, I, I've been thinking about that a lot lately coming into this. And to me, it really comes down to um, empathy and focusing on people and doing things differently than the way they've always been, right? There's always been the time where you've got to be the hard, the stern, the, the tough leader or you know, dad or whatever it may be. And to me, it's about really breaking the norm and yet still having things be productive, things be useful. And in life, um, being flexible enough to look at things for the way that they've always been and say, hey, there's another way. And I'm willing to lead that way. Mm. And so if you think back about the last couple of years, we've been through a really fascinating time in the world. How is that kind of showing up in your life, personally, professionally, whatever way it feels appropriate? Um, I think let's start with professionally and, and personally, because I think that'll take a little longer. Um, professionally, it's really about treating people as individuals and realizing that what was considered a separation between real life and work life has blurred and blended. Right. When we've all been on Zooms, Teams, et cetera, where you've got kids running around, you've got dogs barking, you've got, you know, the gardener outside. That's real life now, where before people would try to, you know, mute it or go, hey, I'm sorry, this is going on now. I just kind of go, welcome to my home. (laughs) And and this is the the chaos that it can be at at some time. And so it's the blending of, as I said, work and, and life. It's also looking at things from, the lenses of the other person on the other part of the conversation, the receiver, not just how you're pushing things out. For example, I start every one of my team meetings and my one-on-ones with a simple three-part question. It's, do you want me to listen? Do you want me to coach? Or do you want me to fix? And why I do that is actually two reasons. One, it tells the individual, this is all about your time. And secondly, because as a leader, we go right into fix mode. Sometimes that's not really what's needed. And so it gives us an opportunity to put the right lenses and the right set of ears on. So that's the professional side. Any questions, thoughts I'm gonna, there? Yeah, I'm going clari- to clarify that, which I think will transition well into your personal side too. So I was reflecting this morning on you know, the fact it's Mental Health Awareness Month and I'm reflecting on the fact that people talk a lot about self-care. Self-care has become... Uh, a major focus for for 
to the well-being space. And obviously with what we're doing with Life Guides, there's an element of that. Absolutely. I really find that we are, it feels at times like we've lost our way around others' care. And you use the idea that we are here to care for others. It's, it's, it's The self-care is about a quick boost and recharge. But the whole point is to be investing our gifts, our skills, our talents, our resources into helping others be happier, healthier, and more productive. That's that's what communities really, I believe it's what we're really here to do. 100%. So, I think it's important that we find the right harmony between those aspects because we hear a lot about just the incre- as much as we continue to focus on self-care, it seems like med- mental health and burnout and these crises and, and kind of crises of, of spirit are happening more and more frequently, even amidst all of that. And I think that that's some, there's something to be said that we need to look at that and really examine that. And, and question that and, and how do we how do we blend these intelligences together and I think that that probably translates nicely into your personal experience as well and how you might want to frame that up so yeah, from personal experience it, it's really changed before it used to be go 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 and this is how many hours I put in I don't have that same mindset anymore all right I, I've realized you can be productive by the old adage of working smarter not harder and you have to stop and you have to take some time and do a timeout for just yourself. Whether it's, you know, go get a mani Betty, go get a massage, whatever it is, and go out to a nice deal. If your recharge is the water, go out to the ocean or wherever it may be. But if you don't take that time, it's very easy to allow what you do to overtake who you are. Mm. When that happens, I think you start losing a clear vision of self, self-analysis and self-worth. And I think I, I've got a special added piece for me, and I haven't talked about this a lot lately, so I'm going to kind of crack the code with you on this. October 28th of last year, I had a major stroke to the point to where I lost the ability to speak. And for a guy that has made my living with nouns and verbs and adjectives, it was frustrating. And I was locked inside of my head, literally, for about two months. I lost the use of my left leg. And it, thankfully, unfortunately, it's all come back of going through therapy and, and a lot of prayers and a lot of folks that have been helping me out. But um, And mine wasn't necessarily due to stress, but I know a number of people that caught stroke from stress and they look back on it and go, no, I don't know anyone that has ever said, man, I wish before I die, I can wish I can work more. Right. And so now that separation and delineation between work and play, there if there is a delineation, it's between how much of me that who I am am I willing to backseat based upon focused on what I do. Certainly, you know, folks are working on upper mobility, they're working on their career, maybe making more money. But at the same time, how much are you giving up by what you're gaining? So what are you what are you personally at this point in your life? I mean, it's an amazing story, and I thank you for sharing it. And I know that this has caused you from our past conversations, caused you quite a bit of reflection beyond just your time, beyond your life and what you're doing and how you do it. And when you Absolutely. look back on your experiences, what do you believe you're here for? What are you what are you doing now? What is, and what have you learned through your life experiences that you want to share with our audience? Wow, great question. Um it has changed my focus and my perspective on everything I do. And I've got four buckets in life now. And if it doesn't fit into one of these four, it just doesn't matter. 
faith, family, fun, and friends. That's how I look at things now. If it fits into one of those, I'm willing to expend as much as, as I can when it comes to energy. If it's outside of that, honestly, there, it doesn't even hit my radar anymore. I used to try and do so much of so much. Now I'm like, what if I could do just really good at those four things? If I do that, then mission accomplished. And how is that showing up in your day-to-day? Day-to-day, um, I make sure that I take time with my family. Let's, let's start with faith. Starts with, with a prayer for me every day to whoever you believe in, whether it's universe or other, right? That, that just kind of had sipping. The family piece, making sure that I am present. Uh, we, we all have our vices. For me, is my cell phone. It's very easy to get locked into social media and kind of zone everything around you out. For me now, it's at seven o'clock, stop. There is no more social media. There is no more phone, period. It's making sure that we're recording things as a family as much as we can, and more so with my wife and I, because the kids are so old now and off doing their own things. But we have special time that we make sure that we spend some time catching up, some time watching things together on TV. And then on Sundays, we sync so that we're very clear on what's going on in each other's lives, not just our calendars for the week. Right. And so, and then the friends part, look, I used to be that guy that would send out a million texts. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? What's happening? And I realized after my stroke, my phone actually receives calls and texts as well. <laughs> right. So it really kind of parses things down and, and you start to realize what you may have thought of someone as a friend at one point in life in this age and stage, they may just, and it's a hard one to swallow but they may just be somebody that you used to know. Mm. And so am I, is it worth expending that kind of energy where I can really be putting it and focusing it somewhere else? And the fun is a given. Um, put together a list of things. I live in San Francisco Bay Area. A list of things that I have never even enjoyed or experienced inside the state of California. Went to San, here's an example. Went to San Francisco, had some friends fly out last weekend from out of state. We went and did the hop on, hop off tour the big bus of going and seeing all of the touristy stuff. There was probably 12 of the 15 on there. I had never even seen before and I'm back and forth the city all over. And so it's an opportunity to go, Hey, this was actually a great time. Why don't we figure out where we're going to eat? Why don't we grab a picnic in the park? Why don't we be a bit more spontaneous instead of trying to make sure that the entire weekend was covered and that um, it was scheduled. What we said was, Let's pick one thing each day. We want to do everything else. Let's just freestyle. Mm-hmm. I like it. And how is it? I mean, I know we are, you are still working, right? I mean, obviously it may not be as important as it once was. Your career is not defining your identity the way it may have once in the past, but how are you, how are you showing up now with this renewed perspective on your life in what you do, how you serve people, how you, how you, how you, you know, what you're teaching, what you're doing. First thing I did was took control of my calendar instead of letting it run me. And a lot of us allow that to happen. And what I mean, here's an example. Every day, 12 o'clock, I block out in my calendar for lunch, maybe personal lunch, maybe you know something I want to do for me personally, right? <laughs> Could be doing a podcast, right? And so I make sure that I have that break so that I have a chance to recharge my batteries. And I also take some time for me. I don't go 12, 14 hours unless I have to admit something that's happening that's, you know, a fire that's going on. For the most part, I'm figuring out how to scale, how to automate, and how to 
um, be, work smarter, not harder, as I said earlier. And I think it's starting to come together. And also, every Friday, 5.30, no matter where I am, I stop and I reflect. And I have it actually set as a reminder in my phone to sit down and reflect on what did I do and what did I achieve this week? And those are two very different things. What I did is a, check, a checklist, mm-hmm. right? What I, what I was able to reflect on this week is what did I do personally? How did I grow? Was there something with a mentee or, or one of my mentors that now has a strong impact that resonated that I'm going to do something different? And it's really trying to find one thing that either I can do differently or do better than I did the previous week. So I guess the question is, you, as I'm hearing you talk, would you say that your purpose right now in life or your perception of your purpose is presence? Is your perception learning and growth? What is the perception to teach that to others? Is what is the what is that? How does distill that out? Yeah, I actually take all of those and I wrap up in, in one word: okay. growth. It's as simple as growth, and it can be: Have I been able to automate it to automate something this week? Have I been able to um, meet the needs of my teams and those that are my peers that are around me? And personally, was I able to knock off? whatever I needed to do this week and, and walk away feeling like I didn't just do a lot of things, but I was actually productive this week. Mm-hmm. And I, I left one piece out. I have a board right here in front of me and it has three segments. And one says, what are my priorities for the week? And that's based upon my calendar. Then on the outer edges, it's what do I have that's coming out in the future that I need to start planning and preparing for? But I think the most important one is what are today's priorities? I never do more than five. And of those five, one has to be something personal just for me. It's beautiful. And I'm curious too, when you think back to your life and business prior to your stroke, what one word would you use to describe your life then? Chaotic. <laughs> right. And, and two words, if I may burnt out. I was so focused on upper mobility, climbing up the ladder, awards, titles, salary, all that stuff that we all get wrapped up in. And I realized that if I was gone today, guess what would happen? The company would open up a wreck to refill this. And I'm not saying people wouldn't care. That's not my point. But business continues. And, And something that I learned early that really resonates with me now, and I was having a conversation with an old friend, And it goes this way. Um, Corporate America is here to make a profit, not friends. Mm -hmm. Friends are optional. Mm -hmm. That's a plus that adds. So when you really start thinking about what's important, I remember having a conversation with my my mom before she passed. And she said, hey, do you know when your CEO is on um, vacation? And I said, I have no idea. I don't even know when my peers are on vacation. She said, yeah, but, and this was pre-COVID even. And she said, let's figure out who's really important here. Because if the garbage man doesn't come for two weeks, if the plumber doesn't come for a week, they're really the important ones. Everybody else is really here to support and collaborate and communicate and orchestrate with the people that are the important ones. Whether it be you're out at a dinner, and it's very easy for the waiter to become invisible. Stop for a moment, 
Give them what may be the only smile they get that day. And remember, and I think it's really been shown now during the, the COVID period of who's really important. And there's no such thing. Oh, should there ever have been, but even more so now. There's no such thing as invisible people. Yeah. These are people, period. Mm, that's really well said. And, and I, yes, I completely agree with you. And, and we're all essential. So that essential thing eh, kind of fits in with invisible to me. They're all, when you were, they're when all you important were, people. When you were speaking, you actually reminded me of a friend uh, who's actually been who's on this show, Tom Frank. He's one of the founders of P.F. Chang's, and he's, he passed on about a year year ago. And uh, he had done this initiative called the I'm Essential Project. And it was exactly that, Roger. He would go and he would give stickers to all the frontline workers, but it was all people. The idea that everyone that was valued and that everyone mattered and that it was really a recognition in that time that we should not forget that those people were there during a really questionable time of people's mortality, and yet they continue to show up and rest their lives. And we run the risk of falling into habits of the past where we and you know we just do things the way that they were, and we fall into the the lack of consciousness again yeah. that permeated to your point, corporate America making a profit and not necessarily including the humanity or, and the uniqueness of each person and the contribution that they make to the to the to the mission. Absolutely, big shout out to the people that are considered essential workers, whether it be, you know, folks in, in food or staff and other pieces, hotels, bus drivers, um, garbage people, whatever it is, big shout out to y'all, because I know that they would have preferred to be with their family the same way that we were, but they didn't have that option. Well, so to that point, I mean, this is a pretty rebellious question. How do we balance that to some extent, right? I mean, to that point, every, every human being has an intrinsic value. Every Every life matters. Every person matters. Every every person's essential in some in some way, right? How do we how do we create a more just business world, or a more just world in the context of how the lessons you've learned? How are you applying that right now? I'll give you one personal and one one profession. Cool. Starting with personal, let's go back to what I believe we were all taught at one point, and it's three simple, basic, powerful words. The golden rule. Yep. Let's treat people the way we want to be treated. Let's realize everybody you pass is going through something, right? And you may never know what it is. And frankly, it's none of our business. But I try and approach every person like everybody is going through something. Mm. And if I can help to make, by being in your presence, maybe not a little easier, but a little better than it was before I was in your presence, I feel like then that's kind of that definition of, of what I want to leave, leave you with and also live, which is servant leadership. And I don't mean the uh, you know, cool buzzword, but really thinking and putting others up to the point to where, what can I do to make life easier for you? Not necessarily better. Now, on the professional side, I'll go back to something that my mentor, Tom Mendoza, who used to be the president of NetApp. What Tom used to do is he had this, I'll call it a program that he called catching someone doing something right. And what he would do is <clears throat> he'd hear in a sales call, maybe, or he's talking to HR and this person did something above and beyond. It'd be very easy to send them an email. It would be lovely to send them a financial spot bonus. And I'm not saying it's an or it's an and, right? But what he used to do as the president of the company, 
she would get their cell phone number and call them directly. You know what that means coming from an, a C-level executive at any level that's called them? First of all, didn't know you had my cell number. <laughs> Secondly, didn't even know that you knew I existed. And third, wow, yeah. the president stopped to call. And it would be as simple as, hey, I realized that you know we we're in the middle of this, pro- this um, process. And you put in X number of hours above and beyond that. And what that did was actually help everybody else get a balance, right? He would call and thank them. And I'm sure there was some kind of you know, fiduciary piece around it. But it was really more about saying, thank you. Mm-hmm. You are not invisible. You are appreciated. And more importantly, you are valued. Mm. That's big. I'm taking notes just to remind me of these conversations for later, even though it's because to your point, in many ways it's it's common sense or written on our heart, right? Like that mm-hmm. you shared, and yet we get so consumed with the with the go, go, go that yes. we remember to to jog that. So well, it's it's the trees in the forest. Right. Right? You're so busy seeing looking and trying to wade through the forest, you miss the beautiful plants and trees. And now I'll just align that to real life, beautiful people and souls around you. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I, that's a shot. I know you don't talk much about it, but I'm going to put you on the spot to talk about it. I mean, it, it, this is, you talk about beautiful souls. You talk about those lessons. I mean, you've had this, you've had these moments where you've literally been on the the precipice, the edge of, of the human experience, so to speak. Right. You, Maybe you want to share some of that. I don't know how much you want to share about that, but yeah, um, kind of gotten the doubt. You've received the transmission, so to speak, directly from that that line. Tell, I mean, yeah, (laughs) yeah. No, I don't mind talking about it all. So, my stroke was actually brought upon by congestive heart failure, and so I I don't had I didn't have any blockage or anything. My heart, normal heart, beats at about sixty five percent of capacity, and then when it gets down to twenty percent, cardiac arrest hits. And you die. Mm-hmm. When I had my stroke, first of all, I had my stroke while I was asleep. And only 2% of people wake up from a sleep stroke. So I, I'm thankful and honored to be a part of the 2% club. But when I got rolled into the ER the day that I had my stroke, remember I said 20%, you die. I was at 23%. Mm-hmm. I was literally a tic-tac away from death. And during that time period, I, I spent a little over a week in the hospital. And I remember one night in particular, um, the machine started going crazy and then ringing and screaming at me. And I was, I was struggling to breathe. You know, I was level eight is, I believe, the highest you can go on oxygen capacity. I was on seven. So I wasn't even really breathing for myself um, the way we do every day humanly. And the machines went off. They came screaming screaming into my room as they're yelling out code blue code blue I, I don't i'm not a medical doctor but i'm smart enough to know what that means <laughs> right and so they come in and then suddenly i leave my body i'm sitting now up in the corner of the room and i'm looking down at me and they're working on me and, and checking tubes and all these things that were going in and out of sound and suddenly i saw my mom standing next to where i am laying in the bed and i'm talking to her and i was like Mom, great to see you. You know, I was, what's going on? Help me here. Is it time to go home? As I was looking and she goes, 
no, baby, I want to let you know you're going to be okay. They're going to work through this. And I said, good, because I want it. And I've got questions. And I turned and literally, she was gone. And suddenly I was sucked back into my body and I was no longer up in that corner. I'm now laying flat on my back, looking up at the doctors. And from that day forward, I vowed every day, every single day, I would find something to give thanks and appreciation. And I also was cognitive enough to say, don't wait. You're going to make that call. You're going to send that text. You're going to reach out to someone. You may not be here tomorrow. I guarantee you there are a bunch of people right now that had a full calendar full of activities, meetings, et cetera, today that are never going to get to those. Mm. Don't wait. Go and do it now. Because you, we all know the old adage, you're not guaranteed for tomorrow. Until you're on the verge of realizing that I may not see tomorrow like I did, priority shift. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I, I had chills when you tell that story. And I think I keep going, which is the most incredible part about it. I mean, this is one of several experiences that you've had in that line. So what do you think that the ultimate lesson is that you're, that you're being asked to learn from these kind of repetitive experiences, these near these near life transition moments and each is different in its own way. And obviously you've gotten the essence of it, which is what we've talked about, but is there another level? Is there another layer to it for you? That- I, and I thought about this a lot since this happened and it really comes down again to my single word of growth. Mm. And it's, you're here to be able to share these kind of things with others so that they don't have to step in to the same holes and you know snap their ankles off if you will yeah. uh, you're here to grow as a person and not be that same person you were well, i'm not the same person i was six months ago a year ago three years ago yeah. <clears throat> and it's also about growth and maturation around finding and figuring out and then executing and constantly iterating on what's important and what are priorities for you mm-hmm. Well, I know we've talked about this in the past. I look forward to reading your memoir when it, when it is the right time. <laughs> and uh, as always, I enjoy our conversations, Roderick, and I appreciate you sharing your time and your heart literally with this audience and uh, just being so open and willing to kind of go there and, and have those really open, vulnerable conversations because I think it's important and necessary and an opportunity for our collective growth to talk about this in the context of business. And I think that as much as we talk about corporate America is, is here to make a profit. I think there's a shift that's taking place that, you know, corporate America is here to provide a healthier, happier, holistic environment for people. And I, and I think that that is where we're going. That's my personal belief. I absolutely agree with you 100%. And, and it's great to see companies are really starting to look at people, not just as the two words that I hate the most, which are human capital, because capital is expendable and replaceable. Well, we haven't gotten there completely, but we are a lot further now than we were, I believe, three years ago before the pandemic hit. Uh, I, I think it really made people look at things and, and not just from the you know the great resignation, but I think companies are now forced to put a mirror up to their own face, proverbially, and say, why? What's driving people to this great resignation, as it's been called? And what can we do and what must we do differently than what we did before? Beyond just, okay, you can work remotely. Now, I work in a great company now where 
they don't just talk about mental health. And I want to give this as an example to other companies. You know, they, they give us this access to all content. And I mean, all content, even things that are behind the free on the call map, right? When, when the unfortunate shooting happened this week, my CEO sent out a heartfelt email on what we can do to make sure we support each other and make sure that everyone else is okay that's around you. And of course, we've got the, the basics of you know the EAP pieces from healthcare, but they take it a step further than that of really making sure that they even have a component for aftercare, mm-hmm. after you've done your counseling or whatever it may be. So it's one thing to talk about it and, and you know find traction. It's another thing to do something about it and really put some action in it. Well said, man. I think it's a wonderful call to action appeal to being a rebel with a heart and to living it, living it in action as you described. So thanks, Robert. Thank you. The Thank you to our audience for joining with today's Rebel with a Heart, featuring our friend here, Robert Roderick Jefferson. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much. Thanks.